Today on Bold Steps with Mark Job, learn how you can reflect the identity of your Heavenly Father for all to see. If you can begin to live like Jesus and begin to imitate Jesus and what He did and how He walked and how He talked, then you can begin to live like God, imitators of God. And if you're going to really live like children of God, then there's a few things you need to understand and a few things you need to change. And welcome to Bold Steps with Pastor Mark Job. Mark is Senior Pastor of New Life Community Church and President of Moody Bible Institute here in Chicago. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Well, we've come to Ephesians chapter 5 now in our series, and Paul gives us a seemingly difficult command. He doesn't go easy on us here, does he, Mark? Be imitators of God. Now, what does that mean? Yeah, that feels very elusive. How do I imitate God? But then he goes on to explain... Be imitators of God and walk in love just as Christ loved us. And I okay. think that's the key. It's hard to get a hold of how do how can I be like God, but when I look at Jesus, I know how God mm-hmm. is. So yeah. be imitators of Christ. Well, let's get into this study now. Once again, we're in Ephesians chapter 5, and here's Mark. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God. Go ahead, you can read it. First phrase, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators of God. I don't know what goes through your mind when you think of imitating God, but it's a hard image to grasp, isn't it? Because you think, well, how can I imitate God? I mean, God is God. I mean, I don't even know how to start on that. I mean, he's so far up, I'm so far down. How can I even begin to imitate God? The word in the Greek is mimic. Uh, It it comes from where we get our English word to mimic, to be like, to take on the pattern of something. Now, if we were just to stop there, it would seem like it would be too hard, too confusing, too big to grasp. But he clarifies it a little bit when he says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Ah, ah, okay. Maybe now you can grasp the concept a little bit more. Just as a child would seek to grow up and be like their father or mother, so we, as children of God, imitate God because he is our father. I have three children of my own. I have an 18-year-old daughter. She's in her first year of college. I have my, my son, who's a junior in high school. Then I have my 11-year-old. He's in sixth grade. And as they've grown up, I've realized that children tend to imitate their parents in certain ways. Uh, whether you like it or not, they imitate the good, hey, and they imitate the bad. And I'll never forget my daughter when she was about two years old. She was sitting on a couch, her legs wouldn't even hang over because, you know, she's small and her legs are sticking straight out, and she had a big catalog on her lap that she got somewhere, and she's looking through the pages of the catalog, and here's what she was doing. She was imitating her mom. She had seen her mom do it, so she was licking her finger, and with her other hand, she was turning the page. 
you know, she kind of had the idea, right, but it wasn't quite working for her. But, you know, she had seen it done, so she was imitating what she had seen done. And so it is with children. They begin to talk like their parents and use expressions that their parents have. And some people tell me that my daughter, uh, they've seen my daughter walk, and they said, she walks like you. And I'm not sure that's good or bad, but... but she walks like me. Now, now, I never told my daughter, hey, honey, here's how you walk. I want you to walk like dad. You know, throw your leg out this way, that. No, no, no. I never explained that just by being around, just by her biology, just by being a part of the family. There's certain things that she just takes on because, because she's imitating, because she's around. It's by, it's by relationship that she begins to take on the characteristics of her father. My brother and I are about 22 months apart, and when I call up my mother, uh, now he's an artist, independent filmmaker, so he's got, if you've ever, he's been here a few times, he's got like spiky hair and a couple earrings and so forth. He's, He's the artist side of the family. But we sound a lot alike, and so when I call up my mother, who lives in Spain, she always asks, the first question she asks, is this Bob or is this Mark? Because our voices sound a lot alike. Why? We grew up in the same household. We use the same expressions. Um, We've been around each other a lot. We have the same father and mother. So therefore, we develop those characteristics. This is what God is saying. Because you're a child of God and have been born again of God, now live like a child of God. If he is your father... Now start living like he's your father. Start imitating him in what he does and how he acts and his values and his characteristics. And if you say, well, it's too hard for me to imagine imitating God because I just don't know what that means, then it makes a lot more sense if you can understand that Jesus is God, the manifestation of God. And so therefore, he says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, And live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. You see, if you want to know how God would live here on earth, then all you have to look is at Jesus. Because Jesus is God made man, manifest in the flesh, living his life here on earth. That's where we get our little bracelets. Many of you have seen those bracelets that say WWJD, what would Jesus do? And it's a little bit that idea that if you can begin to live like Jesus and begin to imitate Jesus and what he did and how he walked and how he talked, then you can begin to live like God, imitators of God. And Paul says, be imitators of God. Because you're children of God and live a life where you show concern for other people just like Jesus did and who offered the ultimate sacrifice that raised up to God as a fragrant aroma. And then he goes on to describe to us, if you're going to be imitators of God and if you're going to really live like children of God, then there's a few things you need to understand and a few things you need to change. And so we jump into this passage. I'm going to begin reading in verse 3. If you're taking notes this morning, write this down. The first thing that helps us reflect God has to do with identity. 
identity. Remember that your desires and speech should reflect your new identity and be consistent with your calling. Your desires and the way you talk, your speech, should be consistent with the new you. Uh, some of us have a, new, have a new us in God, but we still have a little bit of the old way we talk and a little bit of the old desires. And what God is saying is, you have a new you, so let the old be- leave the old behind and take on the new you who you are. Look what he says in verse 3. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Verse 4, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse jest, joking, which are out of place, but rather giving thanks. So he says, hey, if you're going to be imitators of God, there's two things that you need to start working on in the beginning. One is your desires, and secondly is your speech. So let's talk first about our desires. He said, among you there must be no, not even a hint of sexual immorality. Let's talk about this for a second. What is sexual immorality? Well, first of all, let me clarify this. He's not talking about just sex. He's talking about sexual immorality. How many of you know there's a difference between sex and sexual immorality? Some people grow up in a setting where all they've heard is no, no, no about sex. Bad, bad, bad about sex. Don't, don't, don't about sex. You kind of grow up thinking that it's a bad thing or that it's a dirty thing or that it's uh, uh, something that shouldn't, shouldn't, uh, uh, shouldn't be celebrated or expressed. Let, let me just Go on record here. I've told you this before. If you've been around for a while, you know that. Sex is a good thing. We are pro-sex here at New Life Community Church. Absolutely, 100%. Made by God, engineered by God, designed by God to be celebrated and to be often engaged in here at New Life Community Church in the right setting. Okay? So I just want you to know that we're pro-sex. Sex is not dirty. Sex is not bad. Sex is a great thing, a good thing, as long as it's in the boundaries of how God engineered it to happen. And basically how God engineered it to work is that when a man and a woman commit themselves to one another for a lifetime and we call it marriage, engage in the act of marriage and say, I am committed to you, you are committed to me. We are in a monogamous, loving relationship until death do it part. Then let the party begin. Enjoy it often. Enjoy it as much as you can. Celebrate it. I know some husbands are saying, Pass, I'm going to get that tape. I never get a tape. Where do I buy that CD now? I'm going to get that one. I'm going to get that one. Um, seriously, I really believe that, if, if that, that sexual intimacy is something that God engineered and God knows how it works. And actually, contrary to common myth, some people, now if you look at any TV sitcom, anytime it portrays a married couple, it's usually they're bored out of their minds with each other. They're, they're unhappy, it's dysfunctional, 
And it seems like the people that are really enjoying their sexual life are the single 20-something that are out there clubbing, having one-night stands. And that's where the action is really happening. But married couples, it's boring. Nothing's happening. It's, you know, everybody's always got a headache. And, you know, it's always that kind of thing. But contrary to public opinion, the truth is that in surveys done among 20-something singles that are living a party life, sleeping with whoever they want to sleep with, and monogamous married people that have been married for some time, they have done surveys, secular and Christian surveys, that indicate that married people that have been married for some time are actually much more satisfied and enjoying their sexuality than those that are out there partying and clubbing and going from place to place. Aha! I bet you never see that on sitcoms, huh? This is Bold Steps with Pastor Mark Job. We're pausing our message to thank our bold partners right now, Mark. These are these are friends of this ministry who are making a sacrificial gift to see this ministry continue. Yeah, bold partners, if you don't know what that is, those are our partners that give monthly to support this ministry. And uh, it, it may be $5 a month, it may be $30, $40, $50 a month, whatever it is, we are very grateful for your do- monthly donation. And I hope you will prayerfully consider signing up to become a bold partner. You could do that at boldstepsradio.org. Thank you, Mark. While you're on the website, by the way, you'll also find all of these daily messages along with other faith-building resources like Mark's weekly devotional called the Bold Stepper Weekly and our special featured resource known as the Bold Step Gift, which we'll tell you more about later in the program. Again, all of this and more at boldstepsradio.org. But let's get back into the second half of our message because Mark has much more to say about relationships and keeping yourself set apart for God and the call He has placed on your life. I, I want to make sure that we understand what we're talking about. God, is in, he engineered sex. He created sex. The fact that a young man is attracted to a young woman, normal, natural. The fact that a man desires to see the naked body of a woman, normal, natural. May it be his wife that he desires. That's, that's normally, that's just engineered by God. When God created Adam, he created Eve. They saw each other and said the equivalent to wow. You know, great God. God, it was part of God's design. Now, outside of the parameters of marriage, when a single is engaging with sexual activity with another single, it's called fornication. When a married person is engaged with sexual activity outside of marriage, it's called adultery. And then there's all kinds of other things in between. The word here where it says, May there not be even a hint of immorality, sexual immorality. The word used in the Greek is the word pornea, which is where we get the word pornography from. So in other, in other words, what it's saying is there should be not even a hint of sexual activity outside of the confines of marriage. When it's in marriage, great. Enjoy it. Don't feel guilty. Listen. If you're, in, if you're in a married relationship right now and you're not enjoying sexual in, intimacy and, and you're not having sex together and that's not happening in your marriage, you need to get help. Seriously. 
Because there's something that's broken down there. There's something that has happened. You've allowed something, a wall to break up. You've allowed uh, something to, to uh, take away from what God engineered it to be. So uh, get counseling, figure out what are the barriers that need to be uh, broken down. But, but that's, that's part of God's plan for your marriage. Seriously, it is. It's got part of God's plan for your healthy marriage. However, it needs to happen within the con- confines of marriage. Anything outside of that is strictly forbidden by Scripture. Now, I know that when I say this, I am going absolutely 100% counterculture to what exists in our society today. Where we live in a society that by and large accepts the, the culture of friends with benefits. More and more, if you go to a college campus today, if you go down to UIC, if you go down to Northwestern, every college campus pretty much here in the U.S., and you talk to a college kid that's 22 years old, 21 years old, and uh, you ask, what is the culture that exists on the campus? Pretty much the culture is this. We can hook up sexually, even though we may, we're not dating. You know, I can, I can give sexual favors to an individual. Doesn't mean I like them. Doesn't mean we're boyfriend, girlfriend. Doesn't mean we're dating. We can give each other sexual favors. Why? Because it feels good. And then we can walk away. Don't expect the letter. Don't expect that we're together. Don't expect that we're somehow involved each other. And I can do that for this person. I can do that for another person. It's pretty much the one night stands, the sexual favors, pretty much accepted practice ingrained in the mainstream of our culture at a college level, at a high school level, and unfortunately now more and more at a junior high level. It's the culture. It's accepted. It's not like our society is much different than the society that Paul was talking to. Paul was talking to the Ephesians. In Ephesus, there was a big temple to Diana, the god of fertility. Part of the practice of the god of fertility is that there were priestesses in the temple of Diana, and in order to go and engage in a sexual experience in the temple of Diana, people would get drunk and basically have orgies with the priestesses of the temple of Diana. And so sexual immorality and sexual playing around was rampant in the society that Paul was talking about as well. So it was counter the culture for Paul to say, now that you are children of God, there shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality among you or of any kind of impurity. Impurity has to do with anything. It's related to sexuality, but it could have to do with pornography. It could have to do with fantasizing. It could have to be with XX-rated movies. It could have to be with. Uh, it could have to do with uh, the latest uh, Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition. It could have to do with a lot of issues out there that have to do with sexuality out there. So, not even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. And he says, or greed. You say, well, what does greed have to do with it? Well, greed is. It's the word covetousness. Covetousness means I desire something that doesn't belong to me, that I can't have, but I still want it even though it's not legitimate for me to have it. 
So you could be greedy towards money or towards things. You could see someone driving a car that's nicer than your car and say, man, why does he get to have that car? I want that car. I should have that car. And I'm kind of frustrated that he's got it and I don't. But it could also have to do with, um, it could have to do with sexuality. It could have to do with desiring another man's wife or desiring someone that's illegitimate for you to have, but you desire and covet something that is illegitimate for you to possess. And so basically what Paul says is, I know you live in a culture that is a sex-saturated culture. We live in that kind of society, and the fact that people uh, live together, the fact that people hook up together, the fact that people have multiple partners when they're in their 20s or 30s is pretty much just accepted by society. It's just the way it is. It's just kind of normal, right? Well, God says it may be normal for the world out there, but hey, you are the people of God. And it may be normal for society at large, but because you are children of God, it's not normal for you because you live by different standards. You reflect the standards of your heavenly father. Listen to what he says. He says, because these are improper for God's holy people. You're holy. And I know some of you don't consider yourself holy. I taught you before, though, the Bible calls you a saint. The word holy means separated unto God. God has separated you unto himself for a purpose, so therefore you're holy. And listen, sexual immorality and all that stuff may be all right in the world out there, but you're not part of the world. You're separated unto God. You're a people with a call upon your life, so therefore your values are different than the values of the world. Now let me make this clear. Oftentimes we as Christians try to apply our Christian morality towards people that are not yet Christians. And that is absolutely a wrong way of doing it. I don't expect someone that doesn't have the Spirit of God inside of them to behave and act like someone that has the Spirit of God inside of them. If someone's a pagan, they're a pagan. I expect them to behave like a pagan, act like a pagan, walk like a pagan, talk like a pagan, and, and, and behave like what they have inside. If they don't have the Spirit of God, some of us try to make our non-believer friends try to live like believers when they're not. Well, if you had to give an assessment, how different are your values from the world around you? That's the takeaway today from our message titled, Choosing to Walk in the Light, from Mark Job. You're listening to Bold Steps. Remember, you can always revisit these messages or share them with a friend by pulling them up online at boldstepsradio.org. Now, Mark, before we say goodbye today, I have a question I think a lot of Christians have asked at some point in their journey. We know that pain and death and deception weren't part of God's plan. So when we see so much of it around us, how do we make sense of that? Is God's plan still in motion behind the scenes? That's a great question, Wayne. I always remind people that uh, God is good, but we live in a fallen world. Mm -hmm. You may be one of those individuals that are experiencing the devastation of a fallen world. I recently prayed over a father who had just days before lost his 15-year-old son in a tragic uh, car accident. And it's hard to try to explain to a father who loves a son why this happened. And I didn't even try 
I, I have stopped trying to explain because I'm not really sure why, mm-hmm. but I do know that God is good. And uh, if I cannot understand the hand of what's happening, I can always trust the heart. And I think that's what Max Lucado in his book, God Will Use This for the Good, points to, surviving the mess of life. And Max Lucado talks about those struggling with difficult, traumatic, bad, difficult circumstances in life and making sense of it. Maybe you're going through a time that's uh, just great and you don't have this mess, as Max Lucada calls it. This is a good time to read this book to prepare your heart for what may come in the future. That's right, Wayne. We are either going into a valley, coming out of a valley, or right between valleys. But life <laughs> is full of difficult circumstances, so better be prepared. That's right. And right now you can get a copy of Max's book, God Will Use This for Good, when you send us a gift of any amount to support Bold Steps. Just go online to boldstepsradio.org or pick up the phone and call us at 844-615-7363. That's 844-615-7363. You can also send your donation and request for Max's book in the mail. Write to us at Bold Steps, 820 North LaSalle Boulevard, Chicago, Illinois, 60610. Again, 820 North LaSalle Boulevard, Chicago, Illinois, 60610. And don't forget, you can hear Mark's bold and passionate teaching anywhere you go by simply subscribing to the Bold Steps podcast. Just pull out your phone or favorite smart device, open up your podcast app, and search for Bold Steps with Dr. Mark Jobin. Be sure to leave a comment on our page, even a five-star review, to help us reach even more listeners with these Bible messages. Well, thanks for joining us today. I'm Wayne Shepherd, inviting you to come back again tomorrow when Mark continues this message from our study in the book of Ephesians. Our message is titled, Choosing to Walk in the Light. So be listening Friday for more Bold Steps with Mark Joe. Bold Steps is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.